This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got the co-host here as well, Rich Ivanowski. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well, man. I'm excited to be kicking off our 30-team preview of next season. Uh, we're going to recap a little bit of last season and then take care of the, the, the offseason for each team as well as previewing uh, the upcoming year. And we're going to try to go alphabetically or as close as possible without uh, messing up, uh, you know, without with getting everybody's schedule all lined up. But I'm excited that today we have uh, Chris Kirshner, the athletic cover for the Atlanta Hawks. So uh, welcome. Welcome on the show, Chris. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We appreciate you coming on, like Rich said. And I guess the best place to start is just recapping last year a little bit. Um, obviously, it's a developmental year. You had a what ended up being the runner-up for Rookie of the Year in Trey Young, a nice, exciting guy in John Collins, even um, a surprising rookie in Kevin Herter, but ended up 29-53. and 53. Um, Like I said, obviously a developmental year. But what were the main things that stuck out from you? from the 2018-19 season, Chris? I would probably say uh, Trey Young exploding on the scene the way he did. He started off pretty slowly, and he'd be the first one to tell you that himself. Um, you know, that month of December and November uh, were pretty brutal for Trey. But once the new year started, he really got into a groove. Um, you know, he started playing teams a second time, started watching more films, started understanding, okay, like this is what these teams are going to do to me. This is how I combat that. So, you know, in the beginning of the, of the season, when you look at the Hawks and especially Trey, um, he's always going to com- be compared to Luka Doncic because the Hawks traded Luka on draft night for Trey and what turned out to be Cam Reddish in this year's draft. But it was tough for Trey because, you know, he's one of those people that uses motivation and doubt for, I mean, doubt as motivation. And he was looking at what Luca was doing and, and really realized that, you know, I, I gotta get, I gotta get it together. Otherwise, you know, fans are gonna start calling me a bust, which they did. Um, which is, in my opinion, stupid to call a rookie a bust two months into his career. But, you know, that's just fans, fans being fans. But, you know, the way he exploded on the scene in his rookie season, I think was, um, you know, very encouraging for what the Hawks can do. Moving forward, uh, John Collins averaging nearly 20 and 10 on 62% true shooting. Um, just an unbelievable year for him in his second season. 
the amount of growth that he had from year one to year two was, I, I don't think anybody expected that. Um, and then, yeah, Kevin Herter, he's a guy that the Hawks drafted last year at number 19. Um, no one really expected him to do much. Uh, Lloyd Pierce, the head coach, was pretty adamant early on in the season that, you know, Herter was probably going to have to spend some time in Erie with the G League team. And he ended up taking Ken Bay's spot in the starting rotation and ended up being a second team all rookie guy. So I think the, what the main focus for last year was really about growth and development. And I think the Hawks showed that, you know, this season, even next season, and the year after that, I think this is a, a young core that can be somewhat dangerous moving forward. Yeah, I remember those struggles with Trey going back all the way to the summer league. Um, he had some really rough outings there and definitely yep. uh, just caught, absolutely caught fire. Uh, I think it was around December that it, it really, he really turned it on. And there was, there was some takes out there that were early and too gratuitous about, you know, the Luca and Trey trade being, you know, people saying it's going to go down as one of the worst in history. And it feels like that's a joke now looking back on it, but. Uh, in regards to Trey, does it feel like this team has its its franchise player? Yeah, I, I I would definitely say that. I mean, the way Trey can pass the ball is, I mean, remarkable. Um, you know, in my opinion, I think he's one of the best passers already in the NBA, um, and that's important because you know, from talking to Trey from you know right after he got drafted. And throughout the season, you know, a lot of the times he says that his teammates' success matter more to him than his individual success. And I mean, just having, I don't know, countless conversations with him throughout the year, he's not, he's not really just saying that to like, you know, come off as someone who's, um, you know, just trying to make himself look like this all teammate sort of guy. I mean, he really does, um, just love when, his teammates have, and you've noticed that, like, when he's throwing out youths to John, like, he jumps with John, like, in excitement, almost in unison. So, um, I think that's something that I think, you know, when you look across the league and, um, you know, Atlanta attracting free agents one day, um, marquee free agents, that is. I mean, marquee free agents normally want to score the ball as often as possible, and having a dynamic point guard in Trey, who not only himself can score, but distribute the ball at such a high level, I think that's going to be really important for the Hawks once they do become a good team, which, again, I think it's going to take probably two or three years. But having someone like Trey who, you know, is such a good passer and such a good distributor, I mean, you just look at the roster this past season. If we, if we go through it, John Collins um, took such a leap from year one to year two. Dwayne Dedman, who's now on the Kings, um, he had his best, best season of his career this past year. Before he got injured, Kent Bazemore was having one of the best seasons of his career. Alex Len rejuvenates his career season in Atlanta after spending five in Phoenix. And talking to those guys who had good seasons, every single one of them credits Trey to some degree of, of that being part of the reason why they took that leap. So I do think that Trey, what the Hawks feel like is, is that you know, he's going to be in, uh, you know, hopefully with the Hawks, you know, his entire career. I know from talking to the front office, talking to Lloyd Pierce, they feel like Trey is that guy already. 
it, it feels like a lot of similarities between Sacramento and De'Aaron Fox. I mean, it, we are very mm-hmm. comfortable with him being the franchise player moving forward and being the franchise player. He sets the identity of the team. Um, there's other guys that help that, obviously, like Buddy is great in pace, but Fox being one of the fastest mm-hmm. guys in the league sets it that way. With Trey being the leader, what feels like the identity around him? Is it, is it that a lot of movements and cutting so that Trey can hit you when you're open, or what does it feel like with him being in that um, identity-setting role? Yeah, I mean, usually for rebuilding teams, especially in their first season, um, I'll use the Knicks as an example because I grew up a Knicks fan. Um, you know, the Knicks are a rebuilding team last season. I mean, I don't think anybody can really define what the Knicks identity was and what was good about the Hawks in this first year of their re- rebuild. Like they had an identity. Um, you know, they, Boy Pierce wants the Hawks to get as many three pointers up as possible. And he also wants as many shots at the rim as possible. Um, I think looking at the stats, the, the advanced stats, I think the Hawks were 29th or 28th, maybe even last in the league in mid-range jumpers. So, um, you know, they want to surround Trey with guys who, you know, can catch lobs at the rim, like Deadman and, and, and Collins. They want guys who can shoot. That's why they mainly drafted Kevin Herter um, to play alongside Trey as, as the guy who can catch um, Trey's pass. And, and put up threes. Um, so yeah, I think that the the Hawks' identity is you know surround Trey with as many guys as possible who can shoot at a high level, and as many guys as possible who can um, effectively score at the rim. I think that's one of the big reasons why they they signed uh, Jabari Parker. Jabari finished last season shooting seventy one percent at the rim, so he's just another guy who is probably going to benefit. Um, out of, out of the guys on the current roster, probably one of the guys who's going to benefit the most of having someone like Trey who can get, get, the, get him the ball as effectively as possible. So it's pretty clear what the idea is for Trey Young. Um, definitely, one, you know, the idea is that he's going to be the, the centerpiece and going to be starting point guard for a long time to come. But uh, with John Collins, I was wondering a little bit about his role. Do you see him as a guy that, uh, is going to be playing the four? You think that there's going to be an attempt to move him to the five? And is the defense at all an issue there? Or what? What's the what's the hope for John Collins? Yeah, he. I mean, he's definitely one of those tweener type of players. Um, you know, he's probably not as strong as you'd want in a center. He's also not as big, but he's also not as fast as you want someone who can guard perimeter players. So. He's just one of those guys who, you know, they're still trying to figure out what his best position is. I mean, he played the majority of his minutes at the four this past season. Um, he played sparingly at the five. Um, you know, with, with the Hawks losing, uh, Deadman to Sacramento, um, you know, the, the Hawks definitely have taken a step backward at the center position. I mean, yes, Alex Len showed that, you know, he's a competent player and, and can be a starter. For the Hawks, I don't think he can be a starter on many teams, but, um, with, with, uh, with the season upcoming this year, we'll, we'll probably see John play more of the five than we did this past season just to see, if, you know, if he can be, you know, the team's center moving forward. Defense is definitely a question mark for John. Um, for most of the season last year, uh, John just was not a good defender. Um, and he, he would tell you that himself. 
thought was what was encouraging about John's defense is that probably with like 20, 15 games remaining, something like that, um, John's defense took a dramatic step forward. Um, and that's encouraging. And it's something that Lloyd Pierce, when he was with Philadelphia, he was known for being the, the Sixers defensive coordinator or whatever you want to call him. He was their defensive guru. And he noted that, you know, John at the end of the season took a big, big, big step forward on defense. And that's encouraging. And it showed Lloyd that, okay, like Collins can play defense at a very high level, but it's just a matter of can he actually do that for 82 games? So John's position is still kind of up in the air. Um, Hawks really don't have much talent in the front court, front court as far as depth goes, but you know, having Collins, who's, you know, easily one of the most athletic guys in the league, um, you know, the hope is that the defense that he showed at the end of this past season can carry on, um, starting game one. And that'll definitely help solidify, okay, because of this, like he can play the five or he can, he can, you know, if we go small, he can be our center. So we'll see what happens, but his, his position is still kind of in flux. I mean, I think Lloyd has said it plenty of times that, you know, he, he averaged 20 and 10 this past season at the four primarily. And, you know, moving him at the five is probably a risk. And, you know, if he struggles, they don't want to hurt his confidence. So I would expect him to play the majority of his minutes at the four, but I do expect him to also play more minutes at the five than he did this past season. Defense being a big worry for him is obviously the same as Trey Young. Um, and mm-hmm. then picking up another guy in Jabari Parker, who's one of the worst defend, one of the lower level defenders in the league. Um, I, I feel like <laughs> you can say worse. <laughs> yeah, I, I was close to. I might as well have. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of that led to um, moving up to four to get DeAndre Hunter, who was viewed as the best defender in the draft. You had a good piece on this on the Athletic. Um, but can you just touch on what they're kind of expecting out of Hunter in year one and moving forward? I know he has a lot of versatility and actually, I mean, obviously, like I said, best defender in the draft, but there's a lot of potential on the other side of the ball as well for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the offensive part of his game is definitely something that is probably not going to be at, uh, uh, an elite level coming in year one, just because of the offense that Virginia runs. Um, not really transferable to the NBA game. And, um, you know, Hunter said it during draft night after he got drafted and general manager Travis Schlenk has said it, you know, plenty of times already now that, you know, his offensive game, you know, there's still a lot to be seen of what he can do on that end. But I mean, it's really no secret that the Hawks were a bit dismal on defense. And a lot of that is because of Trey and a lot of that is because of John. But getting DeAndre Hunter and trading away Torian Prince, I should mention that Torian's defense was also really bad. And trading him away to Brooklyn allows DeAndre Hunter to slide in at the starting three spot. And it automatically gives you uh, an elite level defender. Um, he only played one game in Summer League, but we could automatically see just in that one game in Summer League that his fundamentals on defense were already at a very, very high level. And that's going to help the Hawks tremendously because um, they were very bad on defense and really couldn't stop anybody. Um, I think think it was in November 
I remember the Kings scored like 150 points or something, and um, Pierce just chewed out the Hawks after that game. And the, the press conference after the game, I think, started like 45 minutes after the game ended. Um, and that was the game in November. So, I mean, it, that was just a, 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 a reoccurring theme throughout the season where the Hawks just looked so bad on defense and lost. And having Hunter in the starting lineup is definitely going to help Atlanta out. So I think what we're going to see in year one from DeAndre Hunter is more on the defensive end than the offensive end. But again, I mean, he's a guy who helped Virginia win the national championship this past year. Um, you know, he hit one of the biggest shots in the game. I think he hit the, the go-ahead shot for Virginia at the end of the game. Um, so, I mean, he, it's not like he's a negative on offense. I just think that, especially in year one, most of his contributions will be on the defensive end. And, and it's fine for him too, because, um, you know, the Hawks aren't, didn't draft him to be, you know, the primary initiator or the go-to scorer. You know, they drafted him to play lockdown defense. They drafted him to guard the Kawhi, guard the Durant. They want him to be that guy who, you know, every single night is guarding the other team's best player. That's why they drafted him. So a lot of moving pieces went into getting that pick of DeAndre Hunter. Uh, the trade of Torian Prince that you mentioned uh, to Brooklyn, they sent out that second rounder 2021. You know, the second rounders I won't touch on too much, but uh, I believe they – they acquired Alan Crabb, they took on that contract, got 17, mm-hmm. and then moved that with 8 and 35, as well as a, the top 10 protected Cleveland 2020 first round pick, which probably will turn into two seconds as well. But uh, I got back basically that pick number four and not much else. How did you feel about just the general value of that, of that trade? It's a lot. Um, you know, trading that much and taking on Solomon Hill's contract in that deal as well. Um, you know, very clearly one of the worst contracts in the league. Um, you know, DeAndre Hunter for the Hawks to, I guess, quote unquote, win the trade or whatever, however you want to quantify it. I mean, he's going to have to produce. And what I just said is that most of his contributions are going to be on the defensive end. So, I know a lot of fans are probably going to look at his numbers and say, oh, DeAndre's only average 10 points per game. Like, you know, what were the Hawks thinking? But it's definitely a lot, and it's definitely something to, um, you know, look back on and say three years from now and look back on that trade and, and really, um, you know, I guess fully analyze, okay, like the Hawks did make the right decision to, um, I mean, I think they personally overpaid. But again, if DeAndre Hunter was their guy, then it's fine. I mean, last year, the you know national analysts and fans said, you know, how could the Hawks make this trade um, for Trey Young? And it worked out fine for them. So, I mean, I think it's just too early to say whether or not the Hawks actually overpaid. But in my opinion, right now, I do think that they did overpay just because you know, Hunter's probably going to be the third or fourth option for the Hawks um, this year, next year, the year after. He's never going to be that guy they go to on offense to to get buckets. But what he can, what he can provide is defense, and the Hawks really, really need that. So I think right now it's too early to say 
you know, have a strong opinion about the trade was right or if the trade was wrong. But, you know, they did give up a lot. But again, uh, the Hawks have been building up all these assets to make a move like this. And if they felt strongly that DeAndre Hunter is their guy, then I think it's hard to judge Travis Schlenk's valuations up until this point. I mean, he got two steals and John Collins and uh, Kevin Herter, both who were drafted at number 19. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Trey Young was the, the second, the, the runner up to Luka Doncic in rookie of the year. Again, it's, you can, you can say one way or the other how you feel about that trade, but, um, you know, the Hawks are definitely fine with it. So I, I think what we've seen so far from Travis Schlenk is that, you know, he is a good evaluator of talent. And if he felt that strongly about DeAndre Hunter, um, then it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, I guess, judge him already without seeing Hunter play in an NBA game. You guys touched on it. You did give out a lot, but you still managed to hold on to that number 10 overall pick that was coming from Dallas and that Luca deal you touched mm-hmm. on. And Atlanta selected a guy that I think when I had first talked to you, there was still reddish links going on at that time. He's been connected for yeah. Atlanta for a long time. Um, ended right. up going there 10. Where do you see the role for him? I know, I think that you had mentioned in an article a potentially like needing a secondary playmaker in the bench unit, but then you yep. got Jabari yeah. and he kind of feels like he plays that role. Where do you see Reddish fitting in with this team? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's definitely going to start off as, uh, Kevin Herter's primary backup at the two. Um, we didn't get to see him play in summer league because he's still recovering from offseason, uh, core muscle surgery. So, I mean, he'll be fully healthy by training camp, but yeah, I mean, you know, going back to, I believe it was, uh, January, uh, um, outside of Zion, uh, Reddish was the, the guy that I first heard the Hawks really, really liked in the draft. And to get him at number 10 was definitely a win for them just because of, um, you know, he's been targeted for so long. And, and Travis Schlenk actually told me that, um, Reddish and Hunter were both top five on the team's personal draft boards all season long when they do uh draft evaluations and re-rank their boards four times a year and uh reddish and hunter were both in the in in their top five all year so to get a guy like can't to get get a guy like that at number 10 um definitely a win for them i don't know how much we can expect for reddish in year one um you know he was definitely uh somewhat disappointing in his lone season at duke um, there are definitely a lot of concerns about, you know, if he's not playing the role he prefers, that he sometimes loses focus and, um, you know, is just kind of there on the court, which you don't want out of a top 10 pick. But, you know, out of the team's dra- drafting in the top 10, um, I really do think that Atlanta was, was the best fit for him just because of, you know, they have a dynamic point guard in Trey. They have a dynamic power forward in, in, in John. So Cam doesn't have to be, you know, the guy on this team. Like he can be a, a second, third option. Um, so I, I do think he's probably going to play more of a, a similar role that Kevin played this past season where Kevin was pretty much just a, a spot up three point shooter. Um, you know, Cam's numbers at Duke were not that great, but. Um, you know, just from talking to people inside the Hawks organization, uh, they don't feel like there's anything mechanically wrong with his jump shot. Um, it, it's the same thing with Trey when he was having his early, um, season, uh, struggles this past year. They didn't, they never felt like anything was 
mechanically wrong. It, it was just the ball just happened to not go in the basket. Um, so that's really the thought around Cam. I wouldn't expect much of him. But the thing is, the Hawks are, you know, definitely going to use this season as a measuring stick for where he is and Hunter is and uh, Bruno Fernando, the, the center they got in the second round. But I, I wouldn't expect Bruno or Cam to start for the Hawks. I mean, barring any injuries, of course. But, you know, there's there shouldn't be high expectations for Reddish. I know a lot of fans, um, uh, Hawks fans in particular, have definitely fallen in love with him quickly. And they're probably going to be disappointed in his rookie season just because I don't expect much out of him. He's probably going to play 20, 25 minutes a game. Um, and be one of the, the guys on the second unit, but I wouldn't, I really wouldn't expect much out of him. Definitely sounds like they are, uh, taking a long view and slow playing it a little bit, but regardless, yeah. it, it seems like the, the Hawks walked away from this draft with two guys that, uh, the two guys that were, you know, realistically, uh, the targets that they wanted to walk away with. And then you mentioned, uh, Fernando as well. Uh, they moved up late in the draft to to grab him at 34 or grab the rights for him gave up um, some future seconds and pick 57 but what what were your thoughts on fernando and is is this uh even again if it goes back to that long view is this a move where they feel like they can get someone who who maybe fills that void uh, of deadman even if it takes a couple of years yeah i mean i had written a story in the athletic about a month prior to the draft of um Guys I was told that the Hawks really, really liked, and Fernando was one of those guys along with um, Hunter and Redfish. So, you know, they viewed Fernando as a first-round talent, not not necessarily where their picks were entering the draft at 8, 10, and 17, but they viewed Fernando, you know, if, if they couldn't move up to number four um, and they stuck at eight, they probably would have traded down um, from 10 and gotten into the mid to late 20s and drafted Fernando. I mean, they, they had him pretty high on their board um so they really like him i mean they feel like again he's someone who hasn't shown that he can be a a shooter which the hawks prefer um believe he only took 13 three-point attempts in his career at maryland but they view him on a similar growth trajectory as they did john collins a few years ago when they drafted him uh collins was a non-existent shooter at wake forest um wasn't a good shooter in his the first season and this past year he shot 37 percent from three on quite a bit of attempts i don't i don't know the number off the top of my head but you know john collins is now a three-point threat um you know the the same growth trajectory is expected for fernando they want him to shoot threes um there was actually a play i think it was the second summer league game where he set the screen and rolled um pump fake from three he was wide open and after the game, and he had, he actually hit a, a pretty smooth pull-up jumper from mid-range, but he, he was laughing after the game because he said that, um, you know, he knows in the regular season that, I mean, yes, the, the ball went into the hoop, but, you know, the Hawks want him to take those threes. Um, they want as many threes as, as possible, as I said. So, I mean, it's encouraging that he already knows that, you know, this is what the Hawks want on offense, and, you know, I have to adjust and, and grow my game. But I think the, the encouraging thing for Fernando is that, you know, he's been a good free throw shooter in his, um, two seasons at Maryland, shot around 80%. 
Um, again, his mechanics are very smooth. But the good thing with Fernando is that, again, he provides uh, rim protection, intensity on defense, which, again, was extremely lacking this past season from pretty much everybody on the roster. So, like Hunter, most of his um, contributions this season probably going to come on the defensive end, and they're going to slowly develop his jumper throughout the season and even next season. It's probably going to be year three where I would say, okay, let's Fernando is going to be for the Hawks moving forward. And maybe this is a good chance to uh, talk on Deadman a little bit since we're touching on on centers and it's obviously who you guys are moving on from. Came over to Sacramento, um, having pay, played in one of the highest-paced offenses in Atlanta. It's going to bode really well for coming over to that high-paced identity team in Sacramento and really just does it all from what we saw. Um, I talked to you a little bit mm-hmm. on this last time as well, but hits the three at a really good rate. I believe he was 41% from the corners um, and protects the rim. Like I said, runs the floor. Can you just speak to a little bit of Deadman's impact on and off the floor from last season? Yeah, I think Deadman, you know, just looking around the league, he's, in my opinion, criminally underrated. I don't, I, I don't get why people don't talk about him as being one of the um, better centers in the league. Uh, you know, he's really good. He's, like you mentioned, he can shoot it at a very high level from three. This past season, uh, he was, I, I believe, at 39% overall from three. Um, very good on defense. Uh, I would say a plus defender on defense, actually. Um, I, it's, it's a big loss for the Hawks to lose him. And I think it's something that not a lot of people have been talking about because they, you know, they saw Alex Len shoot 37% from three, but what Demon provided on the defensive end of the floor and what they're losing now and replacing with Alex Len, who's not a good defender, is definitely going to hurt the Hawks. But I think what the Kings got is someone who perfectly fits the style of play um, that you guys are running in Sacramento. Um, you know, it's a high-paced team just like the Hawks. And he's going to fit in so smoothly with De'Aaron Fox, who, um, you know, has similar traits to on. So I think it's a big, a big, big win for the Kings to get Deadman. I believe I saw one site heading into free agency, um, rated Deadman as a worse center than JaVale McGee, like as far as like free agent rankings, <laughs> as the centers go. I mean, uh, it's, it's laughable, but again, I just don't get why Deadman doesn't get much uh, publicity as being one of the better centers in the league because, I mean, he is. He's very good. Um, there really aren't many weaknesses to his game. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying he's Joel Embiid or any, any of these other, um, big time centers, Nikola Jokic, but he's a very, very good center and a very quality starter. And it's a big loss for the Hawks. Yeah, we're thrilled to have him in Sacramento. And I, I guess I can say that I'm comforted by the fact that most of the criticism of him or the the underrating of Deadman comes from national outlets or or folks that are trying to focus on the whole league and and don't watch uh, the Hawks specifically because everyone that I hear from uh, that interacted with him or that watched all of his games that really paid attention it's all it's all good stuff. I, everyone uh, loves Deadman that, that actually has watched him play. So uh, we're definitely excited about him, but. Are you currently paying off student debt? 
Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Uh, one guy that I'm not super excited about, and maybe you can help me understand this trade a little bit. I wanted to know more about the Kent Bazemore Evan Turner trade. What was the yeah. what's the theory of this? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely perplexing at first because um, one, there's no additional compensation involved. There was a one for one player deal which we don't really see much of these days. Um, two, this, it wasn't like the Hawks did this trade to save money or anything like that because their salaries are pretty identical. I think the Hawks saved, um, I think it was 600000 if I remember correctly. Um, so they didn't do it for salary reasons. They didn't do it to get a ba- better basketball player because um, Evan Serger is not that. Um but they did need a backup point guard, and I was told that the reason why they did it is to get a backup point guard. Again, I don't really necessarily know if that was the full reason, but that was the main reason why I was given for why the Hawks went ahead and did this deal. But, I mean, on paper, and when we talk about it, it really doesn't make that much sense because um, before Bazemore, so Bazemore sprained his ankle in late December. He was out a month, I believe. Um, after he came back from that ankle injury, uh, Bazemore was abysmal. Uh, he was really, really bad. Prop one of the worst Hawks on the roster, um, no doubt about it. Um, but before that injury, you know, you could definitely make the case that Bazemore was one of the team's best players. Uh, you know, it was overlooked, but in that home opener against the Mavericks that was on ESPN, um, you know, Bazemore had 32 points in that game, and he had several of those games throughout the, the season, um, throughout before or, um, before he rolled his ankle. Um, you know, there were games where he had 25, 27 points. And what's good about Bazemore is that you know he's one of the one of those guys who can play two ways and does play defense and um, prides himself on defense. And to train him for Evan Turner when you just want a backup point guard doesn't really make too much sense because, you know, there were several options where the Hawks could have signed someone for a cheap deal and didn't. Um, you know, they still haven't signed another point guard. They waived their um, projected third point guard um, right after some summer league and Jalen Adams. So it was definitely um, an interesting trade and one that I really still have questions about just because you know yes Bazemore was bad um for most of the season again after he sprained his ankle but to trade him and lose one of the respected voices in the locker room which a lot of the younger guys looked up to um you know it's definitely a move that you know looking back on it's I, I just doesn't make a bunch of sense it still doesn't make a bunch of sense and I'm not sure if it, it will ever make sense to me. 
Well, we mentioned at towards the top that the Hawks' identity of really shooting the basketball, and that's another part of it with Turner. I mean, twenty one percent from deep last year. Is, yeah, he's he's a non shooter. Yeah, yeah, it, it's insane. And so, yeah, I mean, a little bit of a head scratch there. I guess you got your backup point guard. He does run that position nicely. Um, in that niche, another trade that you guys had that you helped made a little bit of sense of with an athletic article was the uh, Chandler Parsons trade, uh, giving away Solomon mm-hmm. Hill and Miles Plumley. Solomon Hill's con- uh, jersey will go up next to Carmelo Anthony's, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it, it mainly was to fill or to gain an additional roster spot. It felt like right that it turned into Jabari yeah. Parker, uh, but. To, just touching on the role that you think Parker will have a little bit fits this high-paced offense uh, and not really having defense and and maybe a revitalization, another another chance in a new place for Chandler Parsons. Yeah, well, it's funny. Um, you know, one of the Hawks front office members told me in summer league, he's like, "Look," because I asked him, "Like, all right, like, yes, you guys got the additional roster spot in this deal, but like." Where the hell, like, is he gonna play? Like, it doesn't make any sense, really. And he's like, look, I personally have no idea how much he's gonna play with us. Um, so it, it mainly was just to get an additional roster spot because, um, Plumlee's deal and, and Hill's deal pretty much matched, um, salary wise for Parsons. They, again, they aren't saving much money. Um, they didn't save much money doing that deal. Um, actually they, they spend a little more money actually, but yeah, I mean, what he can, what he can provide if healthy and if healthy should definitely be in bold because, you know, for the past three seasons, Parsons has only played 95 games, um, which is not ideal because there are 82 games in a season, as we all know. So, I mean, he's just, he's just another guy like Jamari Parker. Um, you know, he's dealt with knee injuries, um, can really never stay healthy. So, again, when you look at the Hawks roster and, you know, having Parsons as one of your 15 guys and having Parker as one of your 15 guys, those are two guys who have been injury prone and, you know, have played 82 games in a season throughout their careers, maybe once or twice. And, again, it's it's something that is definitely a big question mark for the Hawks going into the season just because, you know, I don't know what they can really expect out of Parsons. I mean, it, when he's healthy, he's a, a guy who can shoot the three at a high level. Um, but that's pretty much it. Like, that's really all he can provide. Yeah, so I guess the question becomes, what are the Hawks going to do with that extra roster spot? Because if I'm not mistaken, they've only got 13 contracts on the books. And, uh, yep. They could, they can, they're gonna need to add someone else. Um, I see that one player is on a two way, but this is a team that still has moves to make. Um, is mm-hmm. maybe adding another point guard? Uh, you know, what, what do you, what would you project as the final moves for this roster? Yeah, they're, they want to add, add another point guard. Um, you know, Lloyd told me that it's possible that the second two way spot is used on a point guard. Um, Jalen Adams, who I, briefly touched on um, before was on a two-way deal this past season and he got converted to a full-time deal um, toward the end of the season. So um, it's possible they go that route and use that second two-way spot on a point guard. Um, you know, they definitely need one just in case 
you know, if Trey does get injured, um, you, know, you don't want Evan Turner as the only point guard on the team. <laughs> no. So no. I would, ex- <laughs> so yeah, I would expect them to, uh, to sign another point guard. Um, you know, they're still talking to Vince Carter, um, you know, bringing him back for his final season. Um, you know, it's been told to me that Carter, again, still wants to play basketball. He doesn't want to be a cheerleader on the bench and, you know, just, just do nothing. Um, and he knows that the Hawks are, you know, probably aren't, aren't going to have that many minutes for him just because, you know, this season is about playing the young guys and seeing what they can do and, and, and can provide for the future. So, um, you know, I would expect Vince to likely sign somewhere else. So what they do with that last roster spot, um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, they, they're lacking a bunch of uh, veteran leaders right now, something that was definitely important for them to have in the locker room this past season. You, you, you lose Deadman, you possibly lose Vince, you lose Baysmore, and, you know, there's definitely a lack of, of veteran leadership um, in this locker room. And uh, Schwenk told me that he, you know, he would like to add another veteran in this locker room, but, you know, most of those guys are already signed. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, I should also note that, that um, Schwenk told me that, you know, he's planning on using an open roster spot heading into the season. So, you know, I would expect the team to have 14 guys under contract and two two-way guys. So um, just because they can use that open roster spot for flexibility and possibly acquire a guy in a, in a deal um, after December 15th. So that's that's what I would expect right now. And you had a piece earlier uh, talking about Amari Spellman and really focusing and honing in on him, saying things like, you know, it's it's funny how he's not mentioned as part of the core. And then it felt like within a couple of days he was swapped for Damian Jones. Uh, did that kind <laughs> yeah. of seem to yeah. come out of nowhere? Was it for some center depth because Omari felt like more of a four in a way? It, it seemed like that was a surprising move. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was surprising. Uh, you know, I I talked to uh, Lloyd one on one um that Sunday. Omari was traded on a Monday, um, and he was still you know because I specifically asked him about. Amari on several occasions and he was like, yeah, like we, we see him, you know, being, uh, a mix between a power forward and a center. Um, you know, someone who we're encouraged about, um, because I asked him, you know, in his rookie season this past year, his weight was definitely an issue. He, uh, got up to 293 pounds and they had to send him down to Erie to, I guess, get a, a reality check and saying, you know, being a professional athlete is, you know, a full-time job and you need to take it seriously. And he showed up to summer league and he was still overweight. And the Hawks just grew tired of telling him, you know, you need to get in better shape. You need to work on your diet. And he just didn't. So it definitely came as a surprise. I didn't think they were going to give up on him uh, this soon. I did know that they were frustrated just, with him and his conditioning and dieting, but I didn't think it was to this extreme of a level where they traded him before the start of the second season. Um, again, it's, it's a move that's, you know, minor, uh, you know, Damian Jones can provide center depth. Um, but another guy who's battled injuries throughout his career, um, tore both of his 
packs with Golden State is buried on their depth chart. So I don't think we really know what Damian Jones can bring just yet because we haven't seen him play a full season and he hasn't been healthy yet. So another interesting move to say the least for the Hawks. Yeah, and to get that second rounder thrown in there, even though it's years and years away, uh, doesn't seem like mm-hmm. a bad deal there. And then I think that means that we've touched on every move this offseason, uh, considering you mentioned Jabari and talked about him a little bit earlier. But I guess my my question here is, uh, if you're projecting the starting five and maybe the sixth and seventh man, what are you seeing as uh, who, who's starting and where? Yeah, I think um, Trey is obviously going to start at, at point guard, Kevin Herter at shooting guard, uh, DeAndre Hunter at small forward, John Collins at power forward, and then Alex Lund is the starting center. And then the first two guys off the bench are likely going to be uh, Jabari Parker and Cam Reddish. Uh, Bruno Fernando is going to be um, Alex Lund's primary backup. So those are the eight guys I would say right now are – going to be the main guys to watch the season for the Hawks. And it kind of leaves um, DeAndre Bembry, who they drafted three seasons ago, kind of out of the picture a little bit because, uh, you know, they did draft Cam Reddish and, you know, they have much higher expectations for him than what they do for Bembry. So he's probably going to be the odd man out. And it's not really surprising, though, because, um, you know, Travis Schlank, since he's been in Atlanta, has gotten rid of every single player that predated him besides Bembry. But I think this is a clear way of saying, you know, we've kind of, you know, moved on from Bem- Bembry. He's probably going to be the team's third shooting guard and play sparingly. I know Lloyd Pierce is a big fan of his just because he is a, a good defender and can be a spark plug on uh, the offensive side of the floor. But, um, you know, he's probably going to be that odd man out for the Hawks. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Obviously, you know, next year is really focused on development of the young guys and how they're all going to be progressing. It's not too focused on win-loss record, anything like that. Is there any sort of subplots that anybody that's not really deep into Atlanta wouldn't know to kind of watch for? Maybe... Like, for example, Fernando developing a jump shot or anything like that that you're looking to see this year? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would definitely say, um, you know, how how Trey um, uses last season and how he progresses. I mean, I think there's nothing more important for the Hawks this season than seeing the progression of Trey. Can he actually develop into um, a pesky defender, which... Um, Lloyd Pierce believes that Trey can be because, I mean, last season, Trey overall was easily one of the worst defenders across the league. And, you know, when the Hawks do become a good team 
you know, he's going to have to play somewhat better defense for the Hawks to be successful. So, you know, I'm definitely interested to see how he looks this year on defense, maybe the, the full year under his belt, knowing different point guards and their tendencies and trying to capitalize on some of these guys' weaknesses. Because he's always going to be undersized. He's always, he's never going to be the strongest guy. He's never going to be the tallest guy. So what can Trey do to combat that? I think that's going to be very, very important. Um, we've talked about it before, but, you know, solidifying John's position. Do they see him as a five? Can he actually play the five and uh, defend at a high level? Um, because we haven't seen that just yet for a full season. I think that's going to be really important. Um, you know, what Trey and John do this season? Um, is definitely going to tell us a lot about how fast we can expect the Hawks to, you know, get back to the playoffs. Because, you know, before this rebuild, they were in the playoffs, you know, every single year. Um, obviously didn't win any championships. The furthest they got was the Eastern Conference Finals. But, you know, the quicker that these guys, you know, accelerate their progression, the faster the Hawks can you know, start making or trying to make big moves because at the end of this season, about $70 million is coming off the books for the Hawks. It's not a good free agent class in 2020, but, you know, they can definitely get creative with how they use this cap space. And I think it's very, very important for them to, you know, start showing, um, you know, teams and players across the league that, you know, this is a young roster, obviously, but, um, you know, we can, we can contend and we can compete for playoffs. I think it's really important. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs necessarily, but I do think it's important for them to show that they can start competing at a very, very high level. I think, you know, looking, looking at last season as an example, I think what Brooklyn did, you know, making the playoffs with a young roster with a bunch of unproven guys and showing that, you know, they can compete at a high level. I mean, they definitely made the, the, the series with the Sixers interesting. I think that's a good um, comparison for what the Hawks should show this season um, if they reach their absolute highest potential. So I, I do think that it's a season for the Hawks, again, of, of growth and development or, quote-unquote, not winning many games. But I do think it's very important for the Hawks to actually try to win as many games as possible because – you know, they're one of the teams that's going to have the most cap space heading into next summer and uh, a team that is, you know, a couple pieces away from actually being really, really dangerous in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and when we were setting up to do these team previews, one of the questions we had identified to ask about every team is, you know, who are we expecting to take, take steps forward? And with this team, it does feel like, you know, basically it's expected that all these guys are hopeful to take steps forward. And as far as guys t- taking steps back, it doesn't really feel like there's many candidates for that. But I suppose the the step back, biggest step back, is going to be losing Deadman. Uh, probably a lack of a lack of high quality center play. But other than that, are there any any sort of strengths or weaknesses that you would want to identify relative to last year? Yeah, I mean weaknesses. I think the biggest one is just that lack of veteran leadership. I mean, I think it's. Um, important for a young roster to, you know, have a guy in the locker room who they can look, look toward, um, as being one of those respected voices. I mean, he didn't play much last season, but 
even losing Justin Anderson, again, he didn't play much and really wasn't a factor on the court. But, you know, Trey and Kevin both signaled, uh, singled him out um, during exit interviews as a guy they really leaned on, and, and he's gone too. So that lack of veteran leadership is definitely something that um, I'm curious to see how it's going to affect this team just because, you know, the majority of their roster has three years or, or few or fewer years than that in NBA experience. So it's a very young roster. I think they definitely gotten worse there. Um, we talked about it already, but losing Deadman is definitely uh, a big step backwards for them. Um, if we look at guys who can possibly take a step back, Alex Ben is probably someone who can. You know, he's now in a bigger role. He's starting. Um, you know, he's had, he had very good success this past season coming off the bench, but, um, you know, playing against guys like Embiid and Jokic and Horford and all these guys, you know, night in, night out. Um, you know, I'm interested to see how he looks against the starting centers instead of, um, the backups. So he's definitely someone who can take a step back. And if he takes a step back, you know, Again, we can't really expect much out of Fernando in his rookie season. So, you know, if Len does take a step back, that center spot is starting to look very, very weak for the Hawks and definitely one that can be exposed. Um, As far as strengths, though, uh, the Hawks showed last season that they can score with any single team in the league. Um, You know, after the All-Star break, again, a relatively smaller sample size, but you know, a decent chunk of games, you know, the Hawks showed that, you know, they were one of the best scoring offenses in the league. I believe they finished in the top five um, in offense after the All-Star break. So they showed that they can score. They showed that, um, you know, they are going to be a competitive bunch. They may not win, but they're going to be competitive. And, again, I think that's very important for them this season just to show uh, teams and players across the league that, you know, if they did add a marquee free agent down the road or two marquee free agents down the road, that this can be a team that can contend in the Eastern Conference. So I think it's going to be an interesting season for the Hawks. I know not many people watch them. And, you know, especially last season, there, there weren't many reasons to watch them just because, uh, you know, they were one of the worst teams in the league. But what they showed this past season is they're an exciting bunch. And if you did watch the Hawks, you'll definitely be entertained. There's not going to be much defense. And I think the the casual NBA fan doesn't really care about that because they just want to see points, points, points. But if you do watch the Hawks, you're going to be entertained, and I can guarantee that. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. A lot of their games last season ending in exciting fashions. And, hey, maybe sometimes a lack of defense can even be more exciting, depending on what you're into. So last year they ended up, like we said, 29 and 53. The Vegas over-under has them at 33. Do you, do you feel like you're, you're aiming upwards of that, below it? And if, if you had to put a guess, a number to it, what would be your prediction for next season win total? Yeah, I think if I were betting, I would go the over. Um, just because I do expect guys like Trey John and Kevin to take a step forward. And they already showed last season that they were, um, you know, very competent NBA players and, and guys who can be a part of this franchise, um, for the years ahead. I, the, the big concern I do have again is, is that center position and, and losing Deadman. 
but I do expect them to go over. I wouldn't say it's a clear, um, a clear pick to make just because, you know, there are several question marks about this team. But if I were to venture a guess as to how many games I would expect them to win, I, I personally have them in the 34 to 36 range right now. Um, we'll see what they do with the open roster spots, but, you know, I just don't see them taking that big of a step forward this season just because of the question marks that they do have. Yeah, that, that all makes sense to me. I think that we've covered pretty much everything as well. I guess my final question for you would be just to look even further and, and to ask you over the next two to three to four years, what's your, your forecast for this team? Yeah, I think this season probably not going to make the playoffs. Um, next year is going to be interesting just because of the amount of cap space that they do have and, you know, the ways that they can go about using that cap space. I would project them to be one of the lottery teams. So, you know, maybe who knows what happens there. I think what we saw from this lottery this past season is that it can definitely be, um, a bit of a crapshoot now, as we saw with, uh, teams like New Orleans winning the lottery, the Lakers jumping up, um, Memphis jumping up. So, I think the lottery now is more of a crapshoot, so who knows what happens there. But, you know, three, four years down the road, if, you know, these guys, especially Trey and John, continue to progress, I think this is a team that could contend in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference has been weaker than the West for several years now, um, and that definitely bodes well for the Hawks. They have these guys under contract at very cheap deals. They're all on their rookie deal still, so that's definitely going to help them moving forward with their cap situation. They don't have any bad contracts on the books heading into next season. All those guys are coming off. So they're going to have a clean sheet. They're going to have a bunch of young players on this roster who have already shown that they are very good NBA players. And, you know, the thought is they continue to progress the way they are. And in three, four years, I think we're going to be looking at the Hawks as one of the upper echelon teams in the Eastern Conference if everything goes their way. Yeah, we're saying the same things over here in Sacramento, drawing a lot of parallels and maybe a little bit further along in the prog- in the process with Buddy Barnes, mm-hmm. things like that. But a lot of similarities mm-hmm. here. And uh, I think that's all that we had for you, Chris. We really appreciate you coming on. Um, it's a very exciting team in Atlanta. If you're into Sacramento basketball, you'll likely enjoy watching Atlanta. Uh, tune into a few games. Chris does a great job of covering the team on The Athletic. Um, is there anything else you got going on aside from your athletic writing, Chris? No, that's it. I mean, if you guys haven't subscribed to The Athletic, uh, we always run discounts, and you'll find them on Twitter pretty much everywhere. Um, in my opinion, obviously I'm biased, but I do think that The Athletic collectively covers the NBA um, the best. I think there's no other NBA um, site or platform that covers the league just with the depth that we have. I mean, we have several national writers. We have every single team covered. Some teams have multiple beat writers. So I, I just think that there's no better place to get your NBA information than the athletic. Yeah, we completely agree over here. Definitely grab that app if you if you don't already have it and follow Chris over at 
on Twitter at Chris Kirshner. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again in a couple days here.